Good morning, Church, and happy Father's Day, particularly to the fathers out there and the dads of St. Stephen's. This morning's Bible reading comes from the book of Psalms and is, in fact, Psalm number one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father's Day to all those fathers out there. And uh, my children thought it'd be good to get my Father's Day present would be a haircut. (laughs) But that hasn't happened yet. I'm waiting for Gladys to let me know when the time will come. We are in a new series Uh, from today. We've got five psalms in uh, the Psalter, the first five psalms, matter of fact. Uh, So 150 weeks to come. (laughs) But nonetheless, we're just looking at the first five psalms under the title God Is, or God God Is, and this today's title is God Is With the Righteous, uh, much like Pippi has just explained to us. So let me uh, open in prayer and we'll look at uh, Psalm 1 together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit who inspired the psalmist so long ago to write these words for us. And we pray that your same spirit might work in our hearts to teach us more about you and the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. The Psalter, which is the language of the Psalms as a collection, uh, or St. Augustine described the Psalter <clears throat> as a, the Old Testament in microcosm. In other words, it was looking at the whole of the Old Testament. We, we tend to think of the Psalms as a collection of, uh, of songs, of prayers, of comfort, of anguish. In fact, it, it covers the whole gamut of emotions when we look at the, the Psalms. Uh, Timothy George the founding dean of Beeson Divinity School, said the Psalms, John Donne once said, are the manner of the church. They provide spiritual nurture throughout the wilderness of life for the people of God, expressing the full range of human hope, despair, confession, praise, and yearning for the living God. That's a great description of the Psalter, of the Psalms as a whole. But the Psalms are actually more than that. Uh, As Augustine recognises a microcosm of the whole of the Old Testament, it it gives to us, there's a structure in the book of Psalms. There are actually five books in the the Psalter as a whole. And it's worth looking at the, the beginning and the end of each book. We haven't time to do that. But in particular today, we're looking at Psalm 1, which is an introduction to the whole of the Psalter. Actually, Psalms 1 and 2 combined provide a a holistic introduction. 
And you'll see that by the repetition of the word blessed at the beginning of Psalm 1 and the same word blessed or blessed at the end of Psalm 2. Uh, Psalm 2 talks about the king, the anointed Messiah, uh, the son of David. And it is programmatic for the whole of the, of the, the Psalms to recognise that David's son is to be the anointed one. We think that David himself was was going to be the one which would uh, be the victor, but of course David's life as we go through the Psalms, Psalm 51 for example, shows the failure in David's life. Solomon comes along and there's some Psalms from Solomon and there's a high point there with Solomon, but even Solomon falls short. The Psalms actually point us to Jesus. It's not that there's just one or two or three or four messianic psalms. In actual fact, every psalm is messianic. That is, every psalm is pointing towards the coming of the Messiah. So the, the praise psalms at the very end of the book are all talking about a new song, a new song of God's deliverance of his salvation, which is found in Jesus. Psalm 2 is very significant, and I think Ed's going to be preaching on Psalm 2 next week. <laughs> no pressure, Ed. But uh, very important to lay the groundwork for how the nations rage against the anointed one of God and how Jesus becomes the king in fulfilment of Psalm 2, as Peter says in his uh, sermon in the book of Acts. But let's come back now to, to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked or walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Notice there's a threefold description negatively with regard to who this blessed person. The person who's blessed, and notice it's the same word in the Greek translation of Psalm 1 as Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, the blessed are the humble, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who seek hunger for righteousness. Here, the same concept of blessed, the same concept of God's rich, undeserved favour rests upon this particular person. Uh, for those of you who are my age, <laughs> uh, you might remember Psalm Praise, how we used to sing, blessed is the man who does not walk. In the, in, the, in the ways of the wicked. It was a great psalm put to, put to music. And of course, all these psalms are songs. They're songs of the new covenant, if you like. They're songs welling up for us to understand how God's covenant purposes have been fulfilled in Jesus. But the person who's blessed here doesn't mix with the wicked. He doesn't walk in step with them. He doesn't engage with them. He doesn't imbibe their world framework. He doesn't imbibe their values. He doesn't stand in their way, as it were. Uh, that's a strange expression in English. It does, it's not that he's not, to, not going to stand in their way, but he's not going to stand in the way in which they go. He's not going to stand with them. Uh, likewise, he's not going to sit with them. And that sense of sitting there is the settled view in which by sitting with a company of, of mockers, those who don't follow God, He's actually indistinguishable from uh, the world. Jesus said, I don't pray you to come out of the world, 
but you might not be of the world. You're in the world, but not of the world. So the man and the woman who's blessed is a person who is distinguishable from the wicked, from those who are opposed to God, from those who don't care about God's values. And this threefold negative description of this blessed person is expressed in the first verse. But what is the blessed man like? What makes him blessed? What makes the woman who is a blessed person to her family and her friends? Well, their delight is in the law of the Lord and they meditate on this law day and night. Uh, the Psalms actually cover from the Psalms of Moses in Psalm 80 right to Psalm 137 in the exile. It covers a fair breadth of time, but most of the Psalms are written in David's time and in Solomon's time. And so what we find here is that uh, when David was writing, the only scripture he had was, of course, the five books of Moses, uh, Joshua and Judges. Uh, not even Ruth would have been written. So he's got just these seven books, which means Leviticus comes around a whole lot more frequently than you would have thought <laughs> in your daily Bible reading. But the psalmist, and David in particular, loved God's law. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Psalter, is a psalm which delights in the word of God. It's a, a beautiful acrostic using all the letters of the alphabet uh, to talk about the importance of the word of God, a lamb into my feet, a light into my path, uh, delighting in the law. Uh, in Psalm 19, it talks about how the law of God is sweeter than honey, more precious to be desired than gold. What do you delight in? What do your friends or family say you delight in? What's the thing that gives you the the greatest joy. Well, for the psalmist, it was meditating on God's word. Notice not just reading God's word, which of course is a prior requirement, but meditating on God's word. Uh, there used to be the, the use of the term the quiet time in the Christian life. And it's not used as much these days, which I think is more to the pity, but to spend some time reading and reflecting, and then praying back to God our thoughts from the scriptures is what gives us life. It nurtures our soul. The very next image is the person who is blessed is like a tree planted by streams of water. The, the tree here that Pippi brought in uh, recognises that. It, we've all seen trees which are dried up and in a time of drought. In the Australian scene, for example, we, we see that, uh, where it's, for the lack of moisture and water, it shrivels up. But the tree which is by flowing water uh, is rich and colourful and vibrant and uh, bears fruit and the leaves are green. And we've seen those kind of trees too uh, in the countryside. In Israel, of course, you had the same kind of thing. Uh, in, the, in the wadi, in the arid parts, in the, in the Negev, in the south of, uh, of Israel, in the dry patches, trees would look very barren. But in the fresh, rich soil around uh, the Jordan River, 
near Jericho in particular, it's just luscious and green and, and glorious. That contrast, particularly in the seasons, is to that the man who is blessed or the woman who is blessed is always bearing fruit, always with green leaves and always bringing the fruit in season so the leaf doesn't wither and whatever they do, they prosper. This is the person who's blessed. This, as the psalm goes on to say, is the righteous person. But the very next verse says, not so the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Uh, as Pippi so elegantly expressed it, the chaff, when you're winnowing uh, grain, you want to get the husk out of the way so the kernel can be kept. And the ancient pattern of doing that is to toss it up into the air and the wind would take the, the light ephemeral uh, chaff and let the kernels drop to the ground. So you could keep the kernels and use it for, for food, but the chaff was useless. It was uh, vacuous. It was ephemeral. It was of, of no lasting substance. And here the psalmist describes the wicked as being like chaff. You may think they're covering everything. You may think they're prospering. You may think they're running the place. But ultimately, in God's eyes, they're going to fade away. They won't stand in the day of judgment. Not so the wicked. He doesn't, and she doesn't, delight in the law of God. They don't uh, have a tree blossoming with fruit in due season where the leaves do not wither. No, the wind blows them away because the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So here we have two ways to live. Someone's used that for a tract, I think. That concept in which you've got the ways of the righteous and the ways of the wicked, or the ways of the saints and the ways of the sinners. Notice in verse 5 how he describes the sinners in the, uh, there are no, there are, there are, the judgment falls upon the sinners, and the sinners are not in the assembly of the righteous. Here is a very interesting thing in our evangelical vocabulary that we're very used to describing Christians ourselves as sinners. What's interesting about that is that the Bible doesn't do that. That is not the characteristic way of describing Christians. It's not the characteristic way of describing Old Testament believers either. In actual fact, the book of Psalms, as you go through it, constantly has the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. These two groups of people. Now, of course, we all know that as Christians, we still sin. But that's different from saying we're a sinner. Just like a, a husband is a lover of his wife and a wife is a lover of, of her husband doesn't mean there aren't acts which are not loving in a marriage, in any marriage. Yes, we all fall short. We all make those mistakes. But loving is still the characteristic which describes a healthy marriage. You still want to continue to love. When Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice that how love and obedience are joined together in Jesus' words. 
We all very readily say we love Jesus. But how readily would we describe ourselves as those who keep God's commandments? How often do we meditate upon the word of God? And if I can address fathers in particular on Father's Day, as the head of your family unit, you should be leading your family in Bible reading, in reflection upon the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses talks about when you rise up in the morning and go to bed at night, when you walk in the way, be instructing your children in the ways of the Lord, helping them to understand. When you see a rainbow, for example, after a a shower of, of rain, do you just say, oh, look at the beautiful refraction of light into those seven colors of the rainbow? Or do you tell your children, there is God's sign that he will never again flood the earth. There's God's covenant sign for all people, blazoned in the sky as a reminder that God is faithful to his promises. That's the job of fathers in particular, but parents, mothers as well, in guiding and teaching and nurturing their children. And the way in which God nurtures us is by enabling us to feed upon his word. The picture of that tree is because the tree needs water to survive. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you'll bear fruit. The first tree in the Garden of Eden, the trees were there to be eaten except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree of life is in the midst of the garden for Adam and Eve to enjoy and it reappears, of course, in the vision in Revelation, at the end of, the, of Revelation, with regard to that tree bearing fruit in seasons and the living water streaming by, enabling it to grow and be fruitful. The Word of God is what nurtures us. It helps us reflect upon who God is and what he's done. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It may seem like a harsh truth, but when the Bible describes the righteous, the wicked, it does to bring the wicked to their senses. And only the gospel will open blind eyes to see that the way of the wicked will only end in destruction. And the way of the righteous will end in life. I mentioned beforehand how Psalms 1 and 2 are combined together. If you look at the very last verse of Psalm 2, you'll see it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The him there is God's anointed son, the king. Take refuge. See, the person who is blessed, the righteous person in Psalm 1, is the person who takes refuge in the King, in the Messiah. That sense of refuge is because only He is our hope. As Pippi said, our righteousness is not righteousness which is of our own making. It's because God has counted us as righteous. That was Abraham's great revelation back in Genesis 15. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So the status of righteousness gives us that descriptor of being righteous, 
but it must flow through into our behavior. It must bring about an activity of righteousness. In Matthew's Gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is giving that wonderful sermon, he, says, he talks about the two ways to live, interestingly, just like Psalm 1 does. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Again, Jesus contrasts the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The broad way that leads to destruction, the narrow way that leads to life. And his very next verse, he talks about the tree and its fruit. And he talks about the false prophets coming in sheep's clothing. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or fruit from, uh, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognise them. There Jesus is pointing to the fact that a person who puts their trust in him, who finds their refuge in him, as Psalm 2 puts it, is one who recognises their need of a saviour, their need for God to forgive their sins. Although Psalm 1 puts it in such stark contrast, they always prosper. There's an aspiration in the books of wisdom in the Old Testament which puts that contrast there for us to remember where we're going. Yes, we still sin. In actual fact, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in a few moments. Why do we do that? It's a recognition that we need to be fed, nurtured by the very body and blood of Christ. It's not that the bread and the wine turn into the body of Christ. We don't believe that. But what we do believe is these emblems of bread and wine enable us by faith to be fed by Christ. That's why when we have the Lord's Supper, we always have the Bible opened up. And whenever we meet together, we have the Bible opened up because the Bible is central to our life and understanding. It's how God feeds us. As Spurgeon said, our blood should be bibline as we meditate on the Word of God day and night. The bread reflects Jesus' perfect life and the wine represents his blood poured out. This is the place where we who are forgiven, though we are righteous, but we still sin. The Lord's Prayer continues to remind us, forgive us of our sins. We'll never be free from sin, but our life must be characterised by the fruitfulness of righteousness, like the tree by streams of living water. This is the picture that Psalm 1 gives us. This is the God who is with the righteous. He's there to support us when we're weak, to strengthen us when we fail, to help us to get through pandemics, lockdowns. Before, while we cannot meet together, face to face, hand to hand, embrace to embrace, eye to eye. We're fortunate we have this online capacity 
to still have the word of God come to us and to still to eat and drink in the communion in our own homes and to share with our brothers and sisters around this place of Willoughby and beyond because we're united by the Spirit of God and God is with the righteous. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the ways of sinners and the wicked to stand or sit with them, but blessed is the one who meditates on the word of God day and night. May this infect our lives day by day that we might grow in a knowledge of Jesus to whom this psalm points us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that as Jesus sang this song, this psalm, and reflected upon his own life and how you blessed him in his perfect obedience and in his death on the cross, that we might have life. So, Father, enable us with thankful hearts to live lives which please you, seeking forgiveness for our sins, restoration in your sight, that we might walk in the paths of obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.